The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. Our ministry has three focuses, three thrusts, and that is to bring redemption to the lost, uh, to bring revival to the church, and restoration to our country. And uh, continue to pray for us as we crisscross this nation about nine to ten months out of the year. Uh, We just want to see people saved knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer for America. And uh, even though I know that we may have political problems and financial problems and emotional problems and family problems and spiritual problems, the ultimate answer for all that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because everything we need is found within this blessed book right here from cover to cover. The answer to life's questions are right here. And the Word of God is the only source of absolute truth in the entire universe. I think about what the Bible says in John chapter number 1, verse number 1 through 3, and then you jump down to verse number 14. How that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Of course, the Bible says how that the Word was made flesh, and He dwelt among us. And who was that? It was Jesus Christ. And we have right here a written form of our Lord that we can apply daily to our lives and that we can share with other people. The Bible says in Philippians chapter number 2, I believe it's verse number 15, "...among whom you shine as lights in the world." And we ought to be careful not to let anything hinder that light. We shouldn't let any soot, the soot of sin, if you will, uh, cloud up the, the container of our light to fog that light, to hinder that light. We shouldn't put it underneath a bushel. Amen? Uh, but we should let that light shine. Now, what light is that? Is it us? We have nothing to glory of. We're just sinners saved by grace. But rather, it is the light of Jesus Christ illuminating through our lives. Amen? And being that testimony for Jesus and of Jesus in this lost and dying world. The Bible says, among whom you shine as lights. In the midst, not in the side of, or over in the corner, or somewhere else where you are not around, but rather in the midst of a wicked, of a crooked and a perverse nation. And God has given us that command to be in the world, but not of the world. And may we as God's people be effective Salt and light, if I could borrow the title of the material that you're going to be going through here soon. And the Bible says, as we're doing this, we're holding forth the word of life. That we're not uh, uh, being a Christian who's going to be a secret service Christian. Amen? But rather, we're going to be a, a soldier of the cross. Uh, we're going to earnestly contend for the faith. And, and ultimately, through our lives, we want to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to point people to Bible truth. Would you join with me there to 2 Chronicles chapter number 7, 2 Chronicles chapter number 7, verse number 14 and 15. And it's been a great week, and thank you so much, Pastor, for allowing us to come, and thank you for the, the gift basket and, and the little toys in there for the boys, and, and also the, the room and all the food and the fellowship that we've enjoyed. Um, I'm thankful for that. Thank you so much for having a kid-friendly church and a play place. That is epic. <laughs> Let me just tell you right now that that is not the status quo in every church across America. You've got something really cool (laughs) here. If I could borrow a word from my son's vocabulary. That's cool, Daddy, that's cool. Well, we're opening up our Bibles to 2 Chronicles 7.14, and I believe that the Word of God is still relevant for the 21st century. His promises are still applicable, uh, that His promises, that they uh, will never expire. And we see here a tremendous thought and some... Of course, a tremendous exhortation from our Lord. And we took some time last night and looked at some initial things there in the beginning of the verse. And and we'll tidy that up and then launch into the second part of this message here tonight. 
And I'm excited that this same passage of Scripture is going to be open on January 20th. Now, we know what day that is. And there is a man who is going to be sworn into the office of vice presidency who has asked for Ronald Reagan's personal Bible. And my wife and I went uh, to the library today, and it was so exciting to see that Bible missing from the case. Not because a liberal was able to put it successfully in a closet somewhere, in a box, but rather it is going to be publicly used, amen, in the inauguration. That's fired up. And the Bible is going to be open to this verse right here. And Mike Pence said, I want to use this Bible. I want to use this verse. Of course, I respect the legacy and the life of Ronald Reagan. And it's because of him that I am who I am today as a conservative American. I heard that on the news here yesterday. And he said, Ronald Reagan, when he was sworn into office, both times had the Bible open to this verse. So help me God. As I am sworn in to this office, I want to see that become a reality in our nation. And I'm thankful that we have leadership that has that kind of heart. Amen? And I feel like with this uh, uh, Oval Office situation, you've got two different guys and two different sides of the spectrum. But praise the Lord, there is a Mike Pence. There is someone who has a desire to glorify the Lord uh, in public office. The Bible says here in Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attent. I'm paying attention unto the prayers that is made in this place. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us now for the next few minutes. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would anoint my heart and my tongue, help me to preach exactly the truths that you would have presented tonight, nothing more, nothing less. Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you would anoint our ears tonight to listen carefully, that we would spiritually, Lord, uh, within our hearts, that we would, so to speak, would be sitting on the edge of our seat, just desiring tonight to grow in grace and then a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit of God, I pray tonight that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us. God, if necessary, that you would convict us in the areas that we may have uh, grown lazy in or we have become weak in or maybe we have become backslidden in or maybe, Lord, uh, something that we have not yet done in our life for your honor and your glory. But God, I pray through it all that you will motivate us to be the Christians that we ought to be molded more into your image and transformed into more of you, Lord Jesus. We love you. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It has been a journey, has it not, these past several services, uh, preaching about the faith of our founding fathers and understanding how the Bible alludes to the secret of national success, how that God must have, the God of heaven, almighty God must have the preeminence, how that his word must have a priority, and we barely scratch the surface looking at some of our history to see how that this was the case and this was the desire of our founding fathers and we looked at the no greater love aspect and and the sacrifice that they made so that we can enjoy life liberty and the pursuit of happiness that we so wondrously get to experience even today amen and how that they decided to put their all on the line and they with a firm reliance in the protection of divine providence mutually pledged to each other their lives their fortunes and their sacred honor. But then we began to look at the reality of the day and age in which we live. We noticed how we were founded and what our uh, forefathers uh, instituted for America and what they desired for this country, but unfortunately how that we have strayed over the past 240 years. 
The Bible says in Romans 13, 11, and that knowing the time. Or that as Christians, we ought to be aware, we ought to be alert, we ought to pull our heads up out of the sand, amen, and open up our eyes and see the reality of what is going on across this country. We noticed how that we have deviated as a nation. In all reality, we are like the children of Israel. We have forsaken God. We are living in a day and age in which we have forgotten God. We're living in a day and age in which we are following false gods. And the Bible is very clear what it says in Psalm, I believe, 9, chapter number 9, verse number 13, or, or pardon me, it may be verse number 17, where the Bible says, The wicked, or people who are lost, people who have never come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the wicked shall be turned into hell, and all nations, all the nations, including America, including his own people, Israel, all nations that forget God. We began to look at how that God needs a conscious generation. People who are going to be like Nehemiah were bothered. And that bothering, it, it brings us to a place of brokenness. We're like that good Samaritan and we're going on a long journey because this world is not our home, we're just passing through. Amen? We are citizens ultimately of a heavenly country and our purpose here upon the earth is not for our own gain, our own glory, but rather to further the cause of Jesus Christ and to further his heavenly kingdom here upon the earth. Praise God that we can be used by the Lord Jesus Christ to make a lasting impact. Amen? But our hearts should be burning within us that God would use people like us, clay like us. And that God... As we looked at last night, God will use us if we have a willingness, if we have a wantingness, if my people, which are called by my name, being a conscious generation, being a confident generation, knowing this, that it may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by what? Few. That God is in control. If God be for us, who? You fell in the blank. Amen. Who can be against us? And we see in Romans chapter number 8 how that the Bible leads us through all these different uh, adversaries and all these different adversities and all these different things that we may come up against. And the Bible says, Nay, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Praise God that victory is something that is attainable to the Christian. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And tonight as we conclude this series, if you will, or this this set of sermons as we look at the conclusion of what God is seeking to propose to his people, uh, we find, he says, if my people, and how that the fate of our nation ultimately does not rest on the hands of the infidel, but it, it rests in the hands of God's people. And I wonder tonight if I could ask the question that we asked last night, do we have the initiative and the enthusiasm and the desire to be used of God in turning the tide and seeing things be changed in this country? If my people, which are called by my name. I love that every word of God is there for a reason. God is not writing something just to fill up a page or to blow smoke, you know, filled with vain janglings and jargon and godly gook and all that stuff. You know, sometimes when you get to Leviticus or Deuteronomy and you go through the names and all the lineages, you might feel that way, but God has it there for a reason. Hey, Ben. But anyway... And one thing, by the way, it shows... I, I'm sorry, I get distracted. You forgive me? Will, it, will someone forgive me that I'm getting distracted? Okay, one, two, I see a motion. Good, okay, we're good. It shows us how that truth can be 
passed on from one generation to the next. It shows that if we live for the Lord and we pass that on to our children, that it will make a difference. But anyway, let's keep on going with the message. And we see here that God says, which are called by my name, and to understand that God has a calling upon our life, that it is a high calling, it's a heavenly calling, it's a holy calling, not making up an alliterated outline on our own to make it sound good, but rather pulling it directly from Scripture. That's what God said. That it is a great thing. It's, it's, it's a, a cut above everything else. It's beyond what's average. It's extraordinary. It's from heaven. It's from God himself where he has chosen you and, and handpicked you that you should go and you should make a difference and turn this world right side up. It's a sacred thing. And only, once, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You know, if I could mention this before we get into the body of the message tonight, Many Christians feel that since they are not called into full-time ministry as a pastor or a missionary or an evangelist, that somehow it makes them inferior or second-rate. That they are a part of a substitute string of not-as-important players in God's lineup. And that is not the case. That is not the truth. That's a lie. And there should be no hierarchy. Amen? There should be no, well, you know, he's that, so he can be used of God more than me, and I'm way down here, and I'm just a layman or whatever. No. Because from the pulpit to the pew, we all have the exact same calling. We all have the exact same potential. We all have the exact same purpose. Though God has a specific will for each and every one of us that will obviously differ and vary from each person around the room, We are all to be engaged as full-time Christians. Jesus said very clearly in Luke 19, 13, Occupy till I come. Or stand your ground. Don't give up. Uh, uh, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That reminds me of another verse, doesn't it? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And God has given us that challenge. Hey, each and every one of us, we have been given a unique opportunity to be in the world, but not of this world, as we referenced earlier. And you stop and you think about that two-letter word, in. Just a little word. And just for a moment, I would like to use it as a prefix. In. As Christians, we ought to be integrated in our society. Why? So that we can influence it toward the ways of righteousness. After all, if you're not there, at your job, in your vocation, wherever it is that God has placed you, then who will be a testimony for truth? In your family, in your neighborhood, in your community. God has given us the chance to be involved with our communities so that we can effectively intercede for our country and stand in the gap for our land. Hey, listen tonight. God is looking for people who will answer the call. I think about what the Bible says in Romans 8.28. I love that verse, don't you? And we know that all things work together for good. Now, what what does the second half of the verse say? To them that love the Lord, love God. And I find it interesting that the Bible says to those who are called according to His... What this is teaching us, ladies and gentlemen, is God has a purpose for your life. For me to live is Christ. We already quoted that. Philippians 1.21, I think it was Sunday night. I have a purpose But I must decide, as we preached about and we referenced last night as we concluded the message, I must be willing to answer the call and volunteer 
as a willing servant, as a wanting person, if you will, and say, God, okay, do with me as you see fit. No ifs, ands, or buts. I mean, here's my life. I'm, it's like a blank sheet of paper. And I'm going to sign my name at the bottom and you can fill in the rest. Because <laughs> you always write the best of stories, doesn't he? Someone who's answered the call, someone who understands they have a purpose, and someone who will say, yes, Lord, use me, use me, use me. Now, what is God's calling on our lives? It's to be a servant. Everybody in this room, if you're saved, every person to be a servant. That's a calling of God. I find it interesting that when the Apostle Paul was laying there uh, in the way, the road to Damascus, in Acts chapter number 26, he's telling his testimony to King Agrippa, and in that testimony, he tells Agrippa, this king, uh, what the Lord Jesus Christ said unto him. And I find it unique in how applicable it is to the Christian life where uh, the Bible says, God, God, Jesus Christ said to Paul, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee, to use you, to make thee a minister and a witness. And one of God's calls, if you will, upon every single Christian is to be a minister. What is that? What's to be a servant? The Bible says in the book of Philippians, I believe it's chapter number two, let this mind be in you, or let this govern your thoughts and your actions, what you say. Let this mind be in you. Let this consume you. Let it control you. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How the Bible teaches us in that passage that he, he took upon himself the form of a servant. He made himself of no reputation. But rather, he simply wanted to roll up his sleeves and get involved. He wasn't looking for applause. He wasn't looking for attention. He wasn't looking for the accolades or the awards. He wasn't looking for the admiration of men. He wasn't desiring to have eye service, as the Bible calls it, men pleasers, but rather he was doing his work for the Lord, because he wanted to serve God, he realized that there is nothing greater that we can do in life than serving Jesus, serving God, serving others. Isn't that what our Lord taught the disciples? You'll find it on three separate occasions. I just bought this today, so I'm excited to open it up. Y'all are probably wondering what it is, but you can't see it yet. Amen? Just bear with me. On three separate occasions, and I believe it happened more than three times. Three separate occasions... You'll find the disciples arguing among themselves, you know, whispering, hopefully out of the earshot of Jesus, who among us is the greatest? Who here is the top dog? <laughs> More like hot dog. Who, who here tonight, who here is the, the number one person, the best among us? And that word greatest, who's the greatest among us? That word greatest in the New Testament Greek is the word megas, which of course, you know, that's where we get the English word mega from. Who's the big shot around here? And so many times Jesus, of course, he knew their thoughts, he knew their heart. And he would bring a child in their midst. <laughs> he would say, you know, the greatest among you is the least. The person who's going to put himself last. The person who is going to serve. The person who is going to minister. He said, I didn't come to be ministered unto even though I am the king of kings, I set aside those heavenly garments and I came to this earth for one reason. I came to minister. And Jesus said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. 
Do you realize that the disciples, and one of the Gospels records it, that the disciples argued about this very thing even at the Lord's Supper? Where Jesus is breaking the bread to show this is going to be like my body broken. Here's my blood. He was pouring the unfermented wine. Amen. He was pouring the grape juice, and, and, and it was not turning into blood. We don't believe that. It's not doctrinal, but it was a representation. It was a picture of the blood that would be shed on Calvary. And in the midst of this, while it was all about his sacrifice, these guys are wondering selfish things. Who's the greatest? Of course, the Bible teaches us that, the, that pride is something that God utterly detests and he hates, doesn't he? It's an abomination unto him. You know, homosexuality is considered an abomination. Or it's a sin that God hates. Now, God always loves the sinner. Praise God. <laughs> but he always hates sin. Do you realize that pride is an abomination just like homosexuality? And American Christians, you know, we get all up in arms, man, the queers and all this stuff. And, and if we're not careful, I'll be honest with you, a lot of times by our disposition, we're being ungodly and unchristlike. But we have this concept, men, the homosexual agenda trying to pervert our youth and the transgenderism, men being taught in kindergarten and all this stuff. It's okay for girls to kiss girls and boys to kiss boys. Man, taking us to hell. But then, what about the pride in our own life? Could it be that our sin of pride, that abomination that we are committing, is just as much of a travesty to America as homosexuality? I don't know. I'm just asking a question. And this goes along with our verse, doesn't it? If my people which are called by my name shall what? Humble themselves. Humble themselves. God is looking for servants. I was smitten today with this. This is phenomenal. There's two plaques that Reagan had on his desk. One of them said this, and I bought one. I'm going to put it in my office downstairs at home. There is no limit to what a man can do or where he can go if he doesn't mind who gets the credit. And you want to know why God used a man like Reagan? Who after he was facing that assassination attempt, and when he pulled through that, he recognized God has preserved me, and man, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that the rest of my days I serve him and him alone. You know why God used a man like him? Because he was a servant. He wasn't filled with himself. He wasn't filled with pride. There's actually a fourfold call to the believer. Every single person in this room, God has called us to be servants. The person who refuses to serve will consider themselves better than even the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how in God's dear name can we do that? God forbid that we would have that kind of a heart. And may we be someone who will always have a desire as God will lead, amen, as we follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit and God's guidance in our life that when the need is there, we will get involved and we won't hesitate. Now that, I don't know about you, but that grates against my flesh. Does that grate against anybody else? Will anybody else be honest tonight with me? Okay, there's nobody else is willing to raise their hand, but it goes again. Okay, there's a few of us. But there are, bat- man, I don't want to do that. Let somebody else do it. <laughs> I think that all the time, unfortunately, if I'm not careful and not walking in the Spirit. God forbid. God wants us to serve. This is, by the way, in this category is where all the ministries come into play. Ministry of encouragement, the music ministry, the public transportation ministry, where you can help bring people to church, the discipleship ministry. 
And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. What is that? Ministry, minister, service, serving. People think, oh, I'm going to be in the ministry. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to be serving. (laughs) And we think that it's supposed to be in the spotlight and all this and that, and maybe it is, but if it does take you to a place as this, understand that it needs to be servant leadership and man as you are doing what it is that you're doing, you're not drawing attention to yourself, but rather you're pointing everybody to Jesus. Amen. And he gets the glory. Great things he has done. There's a fourfold call to the believer. It's to be a servant. Number two, it's to be a soul winner. You know, it's interesting that the Bible says there in Acts chapter number 26, where the Lord was speaking to the apostle Paul and he said, I have a arise and stand upon thy feet. Get up, get up out of your apathy. Amen. Come on now, rise up, rise up, O church of God, rise up, Christian. Rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a servant, make thee a minister and a witness. Talking about being a soul winner. You know, thank you, Pastor, for showing that video, Silent Witness, tonight. And it just, that's a true story, by the way. And if you've ever been in a big city, you know, I feel like we're surrounded by just city here, even though we're not necessarily in the heart of Los Angeles, but if you've been in a big city and you're in the midst of a huge crowd, you could bump into the same person two, three, four, five, six, seven times, you wouldn't even know it. And that story was about an immigrant lady who couldn't speak much English. True story. Couldn't speak much English, but man, she coming from a foreign country, man, living here, praise God. America is the land of the free and home of the brave. And she was able to come, and she wanted to continue to be a witness for the Lord, even though she could not speak the language effectively and fluidly enough, if you will, to lead someone to the Lord. So she equipped herself with gospel tracts, and and she said, Lord, okay, as I ride the Staten Island Ferry back and forth from work, I'll pass out tracts to people that I meet, people that you lay on my heart to give out. It wasn't as if she was just standing there and just passing them out like this. She was following the Lord, and as the Holy Spirit would touch her, by the way, that's the importance of walking with the Lord and, and walking in the Spirit and living in the Spirit. And Christianity is not an on and off switch, you know. Well, I'm going to church. All right, here we go. Thrice a week. Three to thrive. Okay, here we go. Turn it off when I go home. No, we're always abiding in the Spirit. Amen. Walking with God. Reading His Word. Praying. Meditating with Him. The Bible says continuing instant in prayer. What is that talking about? Man, it, Everything we really, we say and do, we're doing it in the fellowship with the Lord. Because we get to. Think about this. My wife and I are together all the time. So pray for my wife. <laughs> She's got a lot to deal with. But we're together all the time. Let's say, though, for like an hour every morning, we had sweet fellowship, and man, we ate breakfast and had a great time with the kids and all that. But then, after an hour, like clockwork, you know, I just kind of ignored her the rest of the day. Now, of course, that doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, we're there. She's going to talk to me in the van, but I ignore her. I act as if she doesn't even exist. That would be really rude. (laughs) I would not be earning brownie points. (laughs) That's for sure. But I wonder sometimes, if I could borrow that illustration, I wonder if we do that spiritually to the Lord. Do you realize that Jesus Christ is always with you? Even though we can't see him, he's there, the Holy Spirit of God. He is with us. He's a real person. He's standing with you, living inside of you, making you that new creature. (laughs) And I wonder if we open up our Bibles and we let him speak to us. And we pray to him. And then it's almost like we're going through the motions of having our devotions and then boom. Like a light switch, like a faucet, we turn it off. 
And the rest of the day, we don't interact with him. We don't talk to him. We ignore him as he seeks to lead us and to guide us. And the Holy Spirit of God is that. He is someone who will guide us unto all truth. And the Lord is my shepherd. (laughs) I shall not want. He will make me to lie down green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. But I've got to be communicating with him. I've got to be communing with him if I'm going to follow his leadership. Anyway, I'm sorry I didn't mean to deviate, but maybe there's a little truth there that you can run with or apply to your life. But we're talking about soul winning. We're talking about witnessing. A lady giving out a track to a guy there, and wow, what an amazing story. Over time, I think, think it was about six months, it wasn't every day, but, but frequently he kept on getting a track, and this lady wasn't really paying attention, just bumping into different folk, just giving out track. And the Holy Spirit of God used that to bring this man to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he was so upset that he kept getting a track. He would tear it up. He would throw it. Uh, and he did uh, take and he tore it up and he'd throw it, threw it like that like you saw in the video. The actor was a little nervous to do it on the Statland Ferry like that, so it wasn't like full-blown in your face. So it was kind of a little hesitant. There was some, some, uh, some visitors, I think from Sweden, that were close by. And when we did it the first time, they were like, <gasps> like that, and they were really scared. I was like, oh, okay, we should be careful. <laughs> But anyway, it's true. Those words, God and eternity, kept appearing in his mind, and everywhere he looked, he could see those words on a billboard, on a sign, on something. He got saved as a result of that track. You know, you'll never know what God will do with a gospel track. And you know what's exciting is that we have a guarantee. This is not a hit and miss thing like the lottery. I've never played the lottery, but, and I have no intention to. <laughs> it's a gamble. Passing out tracks is not a gamble. Do you realize that? Being a witness for tr- Christ and being a voice of truth, telling people that, that God loves them, opening up the Bible as the Holy Spirit leads and showing maybe a coworker or a friend or someone that you have at the house or who knows what the circumstance might be and showing them from the Bible like a verse like John 3.16 or being able to witness to them. Do you realize? Twofold. Number one, 1 Corinthians 15.58. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So it is going to make a difference. Now, you may not see the difference, but it is making a difference. But then number two, Isaiah, I believe it's chapter number 55, there's tucked away another gold nugget. It says, and it teaches, that his word will not return void. It will accomplish that which he pleaseth. And when we pass out gospel tracts, we have a guarantee that it is going to influence someone Somehow. Now just think about that. If you pass out a hundred gospel tracts, you are somehow, some way touching a hundred different people, or maybe it's similar people over in a period of time, with the love of Jesus Christ. I think about that song my wife and I sang, and I wasn't even planning on singing it tonight, but at the last moment the Holy Spirit laid that one on my heart. How can we reach a world we never touch? And as you pass out a track, Pastor, do you have one? Does anybody have one? I, he has one up here. Okay, just hold on with me real quick, bear with me. Okay, that awkward silence while you're trying to rummage through things. Okay, we'll use my notes. Let's say that this is a track. Glad they aren't this big because this is a little intimidating. (laughs) But I'm going to give you a track. That moment of a touch. Eternity is being impacted. 
you know, we don't have to. We get to. <laughs> we get to be mailmen. <laughs> we get to be witnesses. We get to be testimonies. We get to be bearers of living waters, bearers of the bread of life, bearers of a message that will change, that will set free, that will break chains. Now, what's convicting to me is, I look at it sometimes, I'm an evangelist, man, goodness, as an inconvenience. And why is that? Well, we referenced it the other night, our lives get filled with busyness. When rather our father's business should be paramount. And we got busy schedules. But you know, for instance, case in point tonight, and I always have gospel tracks up there, and God forgive me, I don't always do it, but I seek to do it as frequently as I possibly can. But man, right there tonight, I was there for 30 seconds. Just, I, re- I saw my gas line was below E. I felt the van shaking a little bit. I was like, man, I haven't been paying attention to the gas gauge. You better go get gas. That would be horrible to. <laughs> Put put on the side of the road, you know, half mile from the church. Pastor, I ran out of gas. <laughs> it has happened before, yes. That's because I'm waiting to the last minute to see if anybody will fill the tank. No, I'm just joking. That is not the truth. And I, I and I, God is my witness. I never asked for a love offering and I never asked for travel expense, ever. And it's fine. I could fill it right now. The only reason I haven't is because I've been lazy and I've been too busy. <laughs> now I'm getting embarrassed. I'm trying to dig myself out of a hole. But right there, I was able to pass out four tracks. Boom, 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 boom. You know, people, oh, thank you so much. Pulling up to the hotel, and I saw a guy over to the side. He was just looking at his phone and smoking a cigarette and stuff and just sitting over there. And it was kind of over, kind of where I could go that way to go to my room and just decided, I'm going to give him a track. <laughs> it's on the way. How easy. Boom, gave it to him. Oh, what's this? Oh, thank you. Who knows what's going to happen? I have no idea. But I know it is going to do something. And that's what's fired up. Even the tracks that are taken and thrown on the ground. But they rejected. But you have no idea what the Holy Spirit of God is going to do. A day, a year, five years later, when they recognize how the Holy Spirit of God could use a moment even like that to convict the heart of that initial pushing away of Jesus. And I don't know how many times I've seen it. People have come by, especially kids, and they pick it up, and they take it. At a bus stop, man, they'll just start there reading it, you know. You never know what will happen with a gospel track. There's a book on a back table called Gospel Track Stories. My dad, as I mentioned the other night, he, he travels across the country, and he passes out tracks at large events. I had a couple years in my high school days where I was able to travel with him, and it was, a, it was a great time, a lot of fun. But he tells a story in there about a gentleman, how that they, he was helping his friend move some furniture onto a U-Haul, and as they were moving the couch, that's the ultimate catch-all, isn't it? As they were loading it onto the truck, stuff was falling out. One of those things was a gospel track. He picked it up, read it, got saved. As a result, his family got saved, his children got saved. I know of a deacon right now, we know him very well, a deacon in Wisconsin, where we preach revival meetings up there, and he said, you know how I got saved? He said, one day I was helping my friend on a Saturday with some work there and around his home. He was working on a project, but it started raining, so he had to stop work. So I went inside, grabbed myself a beer, and was sitting there on the front steps of the porch. I noticed out there on the sidewalk, 
In the front of his house, there was a, it was all broken up and things, and there was some puddles. And in the, one of the puddles, there was a piece of paper laying face down like this, open in the puddle. He said, I had nothing else to do, so I went down there and I grabbed it. It was wet, but it was a gospel track. And I was just sitting there, gospel track in one hand, beer in the other. I read it and I got saved. Now, was it a soul winner who was saying, okay, Lord, here are the tracks. Whee! Is that what happened? No. But it makes me think, how did that track get there? Where did it originate? Where did it start? Are you with me tonight? You have no idea what will happen with something as simple as a gospel track. There are so many other ways to be able to be a witness. Amen? To be a soul winner. I know pastors teaching that, especially with that chorus of salt and light. But, man, we could start with something like that. Even tonight, you can grab tracks and you can mark it down that God is going to use it some way, somehow, some way. That's so exciting. But there's a fourfold call of the believer. We haven't even gotten to the message yet tonight. Maybe this will just be the message. That we are to be a servant. We are to be a soul winner. We're to be a soldier of the cross. To earnestly contend for the faith. And you know, the Bible teaches us that we ought to have the right position. We ought to have conviction. We ought to be built up upon the firm foundation of the truth of the word of God. And someone who will have that heart. Man, the Bible says that I believe it. That settles it. There's no question about it. There's no second guessing. There's no hesitation. I am not God. God is God. His word is truth. And I'm going to accept it at face value. Even if it rubs my flesh the wrong way, I will die to self and I will allow his word. Here's the key to transform me to become the Christian and the person I should be. But I wonder tonight if we can be guilty of being like the king in the book of Jeremiah. How that he received the Thus saith the Lord. But he was offended with some of the truth and some of the contents therein. And so he took a penknife and he cut out the portions he didn't like and he threw it in the fire. Now we may not necessarily take a knife to our Bibles, okay? Or sharpie and cover up things that we don't like. But maybe spiritually we do that. Well, you know, eh. And the Holy Spirit of God is convicting us down one side and up another, but we are hardening our heart against the Lord. God, help us to not be that way, amen, but always to be sensitive and be like tender soil that can nourish growth. And the Bible teaches us that we ought to have the right position, that we ought to know what we believe and why we believe it. But at the same time, we ought to have the right disposition. The Bible says, speak the truth. But there's not a period at the end of that. It says, speak the truth in love. The Bible says, he says, let your speech be always with grace. Seasoned with salt. Now, I love salt, don't you? Now, not an excessive amount of salt. But I, I love, you know, macaroni and cheese or maybe something, you know, and it needs, I always like a little salt on it. Makes it taste even better. It elevates the flavor. And by us having the right position, but the right disposition, it is going to elevate the flavor of the Lord Jesus Christ as we interact with other people. We ought to make the Lord taste good. Hey, Ben? And I wonder sometimes if we're not careful with our testimony and the way we handle ourselves and our attitude and our spirit and our words that we make Jesus repulsive rather than something that they are thirsty for. 
because salt creates thirst. Now I'm probably taking thunder out of that research material that you got salt and light. It's going to talk about that. Be here. Be a part of that group. Read that book. But we ought to be a Christian, a soldier of the cross, someone who is going to unashamedly stand in the gap for God and country, someone who's going to live for Jesus and be bold for the Lord and have the right position, but being careful and having the right disposition. And I'll be very honest with you tonight. There are many people in Bible-believing Christianity who have the right position, but they have the wrong disposition. And you will find it that that kind of crowd will do more harm than help for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you've got another crowd. It's, spe- it's, it's, for some reason, it's predominant in my age group. I don't know why. But we have the right disposition. We want to be sweet and have mercy and grace and love, but we don't have the right position. And mark it down, and you can see it in Scripture, this crowd will do more harm than help for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will hinder the church of God to be able to successfully move forward and to leave a lasting impact on our generation. And God is looking for someone with a balance. And the fourth aspect of the calling of God is to be a steward. Are you still with me? Would you say amen? A steward. What is a steward? And by the way, there's scripture for all this, but we're just sharing our heart tonight. A steward is someone, a secular definition, a steward is someone who will maintain his master's properties and possessions. Now the Bible calls us stewards. And we ought to preserve, protect, maintain properties that he's given us, that he has entrusted unto us, possessions that he has given us, that he has allowed us to maintain, things that we ought to preserve and protect. What are the three institutions that God made? Well, the family unit was one. I'm going to fight for marriage to be between one man and one woman because it's biblical. I'm going to fight for my marriage. I'm going to fight for my home. I'm going to fight to keep it right. Biblical. Maintain it. God has, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.20, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Or don't lay down the guard. Don't be lax on the job. Don't be lazy. Don't let things slip. And I wonder if we've been letting our marriages slip. I wonder if we've been weakening our influence upon our children. The Bible says that children are in heritage of the Lord. Children are gifts of God. Something priceless, something precious. And we ought to fight for our children. They are a possession. The three institutions is the family unit, the government. was the second one instituted in scriptures. You just march through it. And then the church. Or then the church. That's why I believe in being politically engaged. Because it is my biblical responsibility and being a steward. And we have been given a nation. And we have been given a government in such a way that is after a biblical pattern where we can be involved. Do you realize, and we're going to conclude with this, all right? Do you realize that our founding fathers, when they designed America, that uh, they instituted us to be a constitutional republic with a trifold form of government because it was scriptural? Oh, man, that's just no wives' tale. What does the Bible say in Exodus 18.21? How that God gave His children, the children of Israel, a republican form of government, and you even see in that verse a national, state, and local level. You'll find in Isaiah 33.22, God's three divine attributes and roles when it comes to government. The Bible says the Lord is our King. 
He's our judge. He's our lawgiver. He will save us. And you see that God, if you will, has an executive branch, a legislative branch, and a judicial branch. And our founding fathers realized that power can ultimately corrupt if not handled correctly. And that government should be maybe patterned after the attributes of God. And instead of it being given to one branch, it's given to three with equal powers. Separate powers to keep each other in check. And as we mentioned the other night, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things who can know it. And so that way, if you could read after James Madison and others, they decided to implement that system of checks and balances. We have been given a wonderful country. And as God's people, we ought to be a steward of it and protect it. And to keep on preserving it. Say, well, I don't know how I can do that. I don't have a chance to be on the news, you know, to give him my peace of mind. I would love that, wouldn't you? Go on like Fox and just let him have it. <laughs> right position, right disposition. Got to remember. Probably never happened in my lifetime. But you know, teamwork makes the dream work. One of my Bible college teachers used to say this, and he was from Arkansas. He said, God doesn't need a bunch of big shots. He needs a bunch of little shots shooting together. Have you ever fired a shotgun before with buckshot? I don't know if that's even legal in California. (laughs) In Iowa, literally a mile away from where I live, an open rifle range, I can just pull pull out my guns and go shoot. It's awesome. But you put a paper target out there with buckshot, that target's gone. And if this church takes a stand, Lancaster Baptist Church takes a stand, Lighthouse Baptist Church of Laverne, California, where we're going to be here starting tomorrow through Friday, take a stand, and churches across this country take a stand, we will see God begin to do a work. By the way, every community deserves a lighthouse. Whether they want to acknowledge the light or not, they deserve to have a chance. Just like you had a chance to get saved, Jesus died for you, Jesus died for everybody else too. And Jesus wants everybody to be saved and to go to heaven. So you keep on preaching. You keep on sharing. You keep on loving. You keep on reaching. You keep on keeping on until every single person in your neighborhood, your community, in your county, every person in your city is saved and going to heaven. Amen? Ultimately. I just want to end with this. When you study that story of Nehemiah, you'll find that the way the wall was rebuilt was each family just repairing and rebuilding the wall that was in their backyard. They didn't worry about what was going on across the way, but they simply worried, if you will, and they consumed themselves in the place where God had put them. So instead of turning on the news and saying, oh man, getting overwhelmed with the big picture, let us see where God has placed us and say, oh man, let's see what can happen. It's a beautiful crowd on a Tuesday night. But you know what God's will is for this church? To see this whole place filled. And God's will is not for any church to shut down. God's will for every church to keep on growing and going. And God will use you if you're willing to be used and you want to be used. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. 
If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.